Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Happy Mother's Day and happy Sunday, everyone. Go ahead and make your way. Wow, it got quiet real fast. It doesn't always get quiet that fast. Awesome. It's like I'm in charge or something. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers, including my own. She was already honored once. I I could do it again, but I probably will at some point in the message. But... um, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Isaac. I'm part of the teaching team, also part of the leadership team and other things. Um, Like Heather said, the structure of our church is a little bit different. We have a a leadership team that kind of helps to run the church. We also have a teaching team. And so if you're uh, completely new here, I am not the pastor of our church. If you're just kind of new here and you're confused why you've never seen the same person twice, that's, that's why. So... Um, That's just a little uh, insight into the structure of our church. But honestly, there's a lot of beauty in it because God speaks very differently to to all of us. We still all have the same authority. We still all believe the same things, but God speaks differently to us. And so I think that that, uh, there's just an amazing amount of beauty in that. And there's also a resilience. It's not about one man. There's There's a protection there. There's a mutual submission and accountability when you do things as a team as opposed to one person making decisions. So that's that's how we do it and part of the reason why we do it. But this week we're starting our series backwards. Is Ryan? Ryan and Lauren aren't here today, are they? I don't think so. I was going to give him props, but I'm still going to give him props. This, this series was inspired by Ryan. We like to give Ryan a lot of crap, both on stage and off stage. But Ryan is honestly uh, awesome, and this was his idea, and it's inspired out of uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Um, I'll actually read that in a little bit. I'm going to pray first, and then we're going to get started. Father, it feels so good to know that you are our friend. God, that you stepped down from heaven in the form of a man, paid a price that we could never pay, so that we could live a life full of favor and abundance and blessing. We are so thankful for you. So God, would you just illuminate our hearts and our eyes and our minds this morning to the word that you have for us. God, I pray that by the power of the Spirit, every word that comes out of my mouth as it enters our ears would be spoken by you. Exactly what we need to hear and not by me. Let's pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture today, so you can go ahead and try and keep up. You're probably not going to be able to, unless you're using your phone, you might be able to then. But so uh, if you need to just take pictures of the screens, if you want to reference, I'll go back to these references uh, later. But 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
And God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so I'm sure you can probably pick up on the theme here. God does things in ways that are contrary to the way that the world thinks, that are frankly contrary to the way that we think. And how many of us are glad for that, right? How many of us are glad that God takes the weak things and humbles the strong things? He takes the foolish things and uses them to humble the wise. He takes the lowly things, things that don't even exist, and brings low the things that are. See, God's kingdom is not a meritocracy. Well, it kind of is. But it was Christ's merit that was applied to you because his merit is the only one that's adequate. God chooses the foolish to humble the wise, the outcast and the overlooked to outshine the prominent. And he even takes evil and uses it for good. He takes dead things and brings them back to life again. And so if you've been in a church for any amount of time, you've probably heard of the term God's economy. And this is ultimately what God's economy is. The weak overcome the strong. The way to be first is to be last. The way to lead is to serve. The way to victory is to surrender. The position of prominence is really the position of humility. This one's a little bit harder to swallow. The way to be glorified is to suffer. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The way to be glorified is to suffer. You see, God works in a upside-down, backwards economy. See, our economy is broken. God's economy is backwards. And frankly, the greatest example of this is the cross and the resurrection. The greatest example of this is the gospel. My sin for his perfection. My inadequacy for his holiness. My rejection for his favor, his crown of thorns and my crown of glory. God works in a backwards economy, my failure for his righteousness. You see, the Bible says that we are born in sin, we are born in sin. We are completely and utterly hopeless in and of our own strength and in and of our own power. We have no hope of approaching God, and God is holy. He is the creator. He is, he is completely glorious and completely set apart. First Timothy 6 says that he dwells in unapproachable light. And so if heaven is a meritocracy, do you think that you can earn your way into unapproachable light? I can't. And so there's an infinite divide that separates our unholy, imperfect, broken, and sinful state and the perfect and glorious creator. So an infinite divide needs an infinite God to cross it. And so God became man in the form of Jesus because God loved you so much 
He said, if you can't get to me, I'm going to come to you. So Jesus came down and lived the life that we could never live. He earned all of the merit that we could never earn. Paid a price we could never pay. Defeated a death that we could never defeat. And rose again into a life that we could never live. And then Christ said, all of that I'm actually going to put onto you. I'm going to apply it to you. Something that you could never earn. God came to us. So Hebrews 8.12 says, "For this is God speaking to his people. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Do we see the backwards economy at work there? See, we are the ones who are in sin, that he is the perfect and glorious creator. And so logic would say, and frankly, my bent would be, the wrongdoers get what's coming to them. They earned it, bury them. And I've had to check my heart a little bit over the last two years. Because yes, while we war against evil, we war against powers and principalities, we do not war against flesh. So over the past couple of years, my heart has, have, has had a bent towards, God, you can just go ahead and smite that person. When in reality, I haven't earned anything that he hasn't earned. He needs grace, and I need grace just as much as he does or she does. And so, yes, while we war against evil, God has a tendency in his backwards economy to take things that are the most hostile towards the gospel and turn them into a catalyst for the greatest expansion of the gospel. And so that's where my heart should be. See, the only thing that I've really earned is punishment and wrath, righteous wrath from God. I haven't earned forgiveness, I haven't earned righteousness, and I haven't earned favor. It was given to me. It was imparted to me. You see, it was us who deserved destruction that were the ones who, cho who were chosen for redemption. The foolish, the broken, the imperfect, the foul, and the irreverent ones were chosen to display the nature of a perfect and holy God. You see, logic would say that if God is perfect and holy, then God should choose perfect and holy things to mirror him, right? But God in his backwards economy says, I am perfect and holy, and so I'm going to take broken and irreverent things to further display and amplify my glory and show people just how kind and good I really am. I'm going to take dead things and bring them back to life again. I'm going to take hopeless situations and breathe hope into them. That's how our God works. When I was initially preparing this message, I thought that um, I was basically just going to preach the whole message on the backwards nature of the gospel because, frankly, I will never get bored of speaking about just how preposterous the gospel really is just how backwards it really is. 
But about a week and a half ago, I just felt this nudge that I was supposed to drill down on something more specific. Felt like God was saying that, that there was something else that he wanted his people to hear, and so this is, this is where we're going to end up. God takes the temporal and the physical to shift the spiritual and the eternal. God takes things that are decaying and, pass, and passing away to bring about eternal change. You see, we tend to think that physical affects physical. Spiritual affects spiritual. Eternally affects eternal. Right? Physical affects physical. If I were to drop this mic and it actually hit the ground, David would punch me in the face. Physical action, physical consequence. Right? Yeah, Biggs is clapping. I'm sorry if I gave you a heart attack. I, I'm sure you trust me, hopefully. <laughs> but in God's economy, all of those threads are intertwined. All of them. You see, Jesus in his flesh was finite, and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave was temporal. It was a singular moment in time, and yet it brought about the greatest eternal shift of all history. God took physical and temporal things and events and used them to shift the spiritual and the eternal. The death and resurrection of his body in the physical brought about spiritual death and eternal resurrection for us. Romans 6, 5 through 11 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we, no longer, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Amen. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, it was the physical death and resurrection of Christ that brought about the eternal death of our old selves and the eternal resurrection of our new selves. The physical and the temporal shifted the spiritual and the eternal. God takes temporal and physical things and uses them to shift the spiritual and the eternal. And this ultimately goes back to the very beginning of humanity. You see, the ultimate narrative of the Bible is that God exists outside of space and time, and he is completely self-sufficient. He needs nothing. 
But God, in his grace and his love, he said, I desire to share my good nature with a family. And so what God did is he created beings like himself. God is spirit. So God created powerful spiritual beings to dwell with him in, in his family and to share his good nature with. But some of those beings, this is, I know this is weird stuff. It's not as weird as my brother's message, but <laughs> we'll get there. So some of those beings decided to elevate themselves above their position to try and become above God. They rebelled against him, and because of that, God threw them out of his family. But God said, I'm going to rebuild my family, and not only that, I'm going to shame those that rejected me by elevating humans, by elevating flesh, something that is lower than spirit, up to the position that those entities once held. And the entirety of the Bible is that spiritual narrative playing out in a physical form. That's what the Bible is. All the weird stuff that my brother talked about a couple weeks ago, like you know, powers and principalities and David killing giants and all that stuff, all true. And that's all exactly what the Bible is. It, it is a narrative of that spiritual reality playing out in physical form. If you have questions about that stuff, submit them to us. Maybe someday we'll do an equip class. It would be a lot of fun and people's minds would be blown. But since the beginning of time, God has always used the physical to affect the spiritual. And in that case, God used the physical to send a spiritual message and have an eternal effect. God was rebuilding his family. See, is there any doubt that who we are and what we do is physical and temporal? The Bible has lots to say about this. We'll just run through these pretty quick. James 1, 10 through 11 and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man, so also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. We'll address that at the end. Matthew 6:19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Psalm 103, 15 through 16. As for man, his days are like gra grass. He flourishes like a flower of the fields. For the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. And ultimately, I think we really don't need the Bible to understand that we are physical and temporal. Some of you might be wondering, what is this on his face? Right? If you can't see it, I have a, a, a nice little cut right in between my eyebrows. And so if I needed a reminder that I was physical and temporal, it happened this week. Because you see, when you, when you start to walk out of a door, and you open the door, and then you turn around to look back inside, and you think you know where the door is, and you start to walk back outside, my head versus a solid core door creates a very physical response, right? And so absolutely, we live in a physical decaying and broken world. And based on the verses that we just read and many others, it would be very easy to think that what is physical is basically meaningless, right? That it doesn't have any value. 
that it's ultimately of little worth or use. Right? It's all passing away. It's all decaying. It's all going to be burned up anyway. So why even pay attention to it? Well, here at this church, we uh, look at the entire council of the Bible. And so let's read some more verses. 1 Corinthians 15 through 58. Or 15:58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. Always excel in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 13. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. It does not say that the fire will burn up everything. It says it will reveal what has value. And the Greek word for value there means that the manner of something, the quality or the substance of something. The fire will reveal if there is any eternal substance or value to our work, to our physical things. I preached an entire message uh, on this uh, back in our Afterlife series. It was back in December of 2020. Um, and, I, and I used this next verse I'm going to read. Uh, and so if you, if you want more information on this, I don't have enough time to drill down on that specific thing. Go back and listen to the message in December of 2020 in our series called Afterlife. It was about heaven and hell. Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds will follow them. See, many of us think and, and or were taught that at the end of the earth, the entire earth, earth will be annihilated, everything will be destroyed, there will be nothing left, and God will rebuild a new heavens and a new earth that will have no resemblance to the old heavens or old earth. That's what many of us think and, and probably were taught. That's kind of what was my understanding of the world as well. But it's simply not an, accu not an accurate understanding of our present physical world and how our present physical world affects and relates to the future new earth and new heavens. That series, Afterlife, back in uh, December of 2020, was kind of born out of this book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Everybody in this room, go pick up that book. It will change your life. It's like second to the Bible in how much it has changed my life and just reoriented my perspective around heaven and hell. And Randy Alcorn's the author, and he has this quote in the book. God's fire will not destroy the whole earth. It will destroy all that displeases him but there is much that pleases him. These things will endure the fire to be reconstituted after the final resurrection of the dead. Not only will acts of obedience and spiritual sacrifices be carried over from one world to the next, but everything else good will also last forever. Everything that we do has a purpose and the potential to be eternal. Everything that you do has a purpose and the potential to be eternal. Bruce Millen writes this. 
every kingdom work, whether publicly performed or privately endeavored, partakes in the kingdom's imperishable character. Every honest intention, every stumbling word of witness, every resistance to temptation, every motion of repentance, every gesture of concern, every routine engagement, every motion of worship, every struggle towards obedience, every mumbled prayer, everything literally which flows out of our faith relationship with the ever-living one will find its place in the ever-living heavenly order which will dawn at his coming. See, God uses that which is physical and temporal to shift what is spiritual and eternal. And this is ultimately one of the reasons why we believe in prophetic acts in our church. And it's not about a formula. It's not about do this thing, do that thing, then do this thing and say these words on Tuesday and you will get X result. Right? Anybody teaching that, in my opinion, is peddling religious snake oil. However, it is undeniable that physical acts have spiritual results. Just go and study communion for a second. Physical acts have spiritual results. And so maybe... Some of you need to raise your hands more often, even if you don't feel like it. Because maybe that prophetic act might just break up the crusty soil surrounding an issue that you've been dealing with, and it allows God to start to plant the seeds and till up the soil and work on your heart on that issue that you've been struggling with and you just haven't understood how to get breakthrough. And so maybe you need to do it even if you don't feel like it. Even if you're not feeling super spiritual this Sunday, maybe you need to do it anyway. Because God, God has intertwined our bodies and our spirits. And so sometimes when we do phys physical things, spiritual effects happen. And so maybe what you, do, what you need to do is maybe you need to get on your knees more often. Because maybe that physical act of getting on your knees is the surrender that your spirit needs to start to hear from God, to surrender that issue that you've been struggling with. Or maybe you need to be upfront more often. There's nothing physically special about this space, but it's a prophetic act of drawing near to the throne of Christ in praise and repentance because he is due all of our worship. And maybe moving your feet, physically moving your feet, breaks off the spiritual shackles from your heart so that it can start to move toward freedom. Or maybe the prophetic act that we need is to be still. Now, I don't think that's much of an issue here on Sunday mornings in our church, but maybe that's an issue for you during the week. Because maybe everything in your life is redlining all the time. And maybe you need to physically sit or lay in his presence so that your spirit is still enough to be able to hear his voice. Parents, how frustrating is it when you're trying to tell your kids something and they just keep running in circles and screaming? New mamas, Prepare yourselves. 
it happens and it's frustrating. But how many, of our, how many of us live our lives like that? Where we are redlining our lives all the time and we never sit in a position of surrender in the presence of God so that we can hear from him. So that he can start to break up the hard soil. So that he can start to root out the things that are pulling us away from him and not bringing us toward him. See, physical acts, physical disciplines have spiritual and eternal effects. And so practically, how can we structure our lives so that the physical things we do can and will be used by God for spiritual and eternal purposes? Right? How do we affect eternity with physical acts? As Bruce Milne says, how do we structure our lives so that everything we do finds its place in the ever-living heavenly order which will come at the dawn of the new kingdom. That's pretty simple. Not easy, but simple. We surrender. That's it. And whatever you do, and whatever you build, surrender it completely. And the physical things that you do will affect eternity. See, it's all about surrender. Because remember, God is in the business of taking physical things and creating eternal effects. This is MO. It's exactly what he has done with humanity since he created humanity. He has used the physical things to affect the spiritual and the eternal. But what he needs from you is surrender. See, this is why I believe that if you've been, given the business, you've been given the gift of business or you're an entrepreneur, endeavor to build it as big as you possibly can and at every step, surrender it. Or maybe all you have is your children. Maybe you're a single mom at home or maybe you're, just, you're, you're a homemaker and you stay at home all the time and you feel like your life doesn't have a whole lot of worth Because everything feels so mundane. Mamas, let me tell you, surrender every mundane moment and watch God take physical things and make them eternal things. In that message that I preached back in April of 2020, I tell this story in more detail. But when I was five, in a mundane moment of making cookies with my mom, she surrendered that moment, realized that my heart was being pricked by the Holy Spirit, and in that moment, I came to know Christ as my Savior. The physical and mundane, when surrendered, shifts and affects the eternal. And so if you have big dreams and aspirations, or if you don't even have a job or have a home, maybe you have a little or you have a lot, but just like the parable of the talents, with whatever you have, receive it, grow it, and surrender it. I think there's aspects of the parable of the talents that we sometimes overlook. See, the master gives three different servants, three different levels of physical resources. And he says, go and multiply it. I'm going to go on a trip and I'm going to come back. 
First, the servants had to receive what he gave them. Right? The servants had to take an account of all of the resources that the master gave them, and then they had to grow them. And they had to grow all of it. God didn't say, or the master didn't say, here, I've given you 20 talents. Ten of them don't really matter because it's physical things. Just take the ten and only go grow the ten. No, God says, go and grow all of it. And so if he has given you physical resources, take an account because he expects a return on everything. You have to receive it. And then you multiply it and grow it. And then the master comes back and what the servants do, the, the servants didn't keep it. The servants surrendered it back to the master. And the master said, this is what you have grown. And because you surrendered it back to me, I'm going to give you this. Now grow and multiply that. Receive it, multiply it, and surrender it. So we need to live a life of surrender. See, God values both our surrender and the product of our surrender. God values the surrendered heart, but he also values the product of your surrender. And anything that God values will last into eternity. And so if God values the product of your surrender, then the product of your surrender will last into eternity. And so what if we lived our lives believing that God takes the products of my surrendered life and makes them eternal? What if we really grasped that? How would that change your day? How would that change the mundane moments of your life if you just stopped for a second and grasped the fact that if I surrender this moment, if I surrender this mundane thing, if I surrender this massive thing, then God will use it for eternal purposes. How would that change our aspirations? See, because I think we ultimately probably need bigger aspirations. Because some of your aspirations have been squashed by a false poverty gospel, by this rejection that physical things are worthless or even evil. Not true. It's a satanic twisting of scripture that for some of us has limited what God has wanted to do through us because we are rejecting some of the resources that he expects us to multiply. We also need to reject the prosperity gospel. That just because you do X or Y, just because you are a certain level of righteous or holy, that you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Also not true. Also a satanic twisting of the gospel. You see, because since the beginning of the church, the church has actually grown much more in the midst of suffering than it has in the midst of prosperity. Because in the midst of suffering, the beauty of the gospel is displayed because in the midst of suffering, the, the church did not rely on how much or how little they had. They also did not rely on how easy or how hard life was. They relied on the abundance 
of their creator. They surrendered to his abundance. And when they surrender to his abundance, they were able to supernaturally serve because it wasn't about how much or how little they had. It wasn't about how easy or how hard it was. It was about how much their savior had and what he was asking them to do with it. That's how the church grows. See, Paul says, I have learned to be content with a little and I've learned to be content with much. It's not about the little or the much. It's about the surrender and reliance on his abundance. And so when I have that mindset, it doesn't matter if I have a little or a lot. I'm going to surrender it and I'm on board for whatever he wants to do with that. And whatever he does with that, I will receive it again, multiply it, and surrender it again. And then I'll receive again. I'll multiply it again and surrender it again. So church, let's have aspirations to grow businesses, to grow ministries, to grow families, to grow communities and workplaces and networks, to write books and songs, to change culture, because we have been given all of these physical resources, and the Lord says, there is much that I value in your surrendered resources. There is much that I value there, and anything that God values will last into eternity. Your business is not just a business. It's an eternal opportunity, not just because you can direct your business in a way that leads people to Christ, but the physical things that you do surrender to him will also last into eternity. Your job is not just a job, not because you can witness to your coworkers, you should, but because physical things that you do in your job when surrendered to him will last into eternity. Your school is not just your school, it's an eternal opportunity. Your home is not just your home, it is a physical resource that the master has given to you that you are supposed to surrender to him, allow it to be multiplied, and then surrender it back to him. So you have a purpose. Right here, right now, you have a purpose that is beyond just waiting to heaven. The master is calling you, calling you to build something right now. The master is calling you to use something right now because if, if I were to guess, there is something in your life that you have been discounting because it seemed worthless to you. And like I said, we believe in prophetic acts. And before most people were here, I prayed over every single chair and I touched every single chair and I felt the spirit told me to, to say this. Pray that they would understand its value. I don't know what it is in your life, but there's something in your life that you have been discounting the value of. And God says, no, 
put that piece back on the table. That's not out of the game. It holds value. I have a purpose for it, but you need to multiply it and surrender it. You need to receive it, multiply it, and surrender it. Go ahead and bow your heads for me. We're going to close here. I think maybe some of you in this room probably feel like your life is worthless. Maybe you have a good reason for that. Maybe it's been abuse or trauma or hardship or loss or betrayal. Maybe you lost your job, lost your home, lost your family, lost a baby, lost a friend or all of them. And it seems like you have been stripped bare with nothing left to give. But God's telling you this morning, you have value. You matter. You being in this place at this time with these people in this church matters. It has value. Holy Spirit, right now, would you just illuminate that person's value in their minds? I rebuke the spirit of death and suicide and depression that's telling you that you are worthless. That's telling you that there's nothing you'll ever do that can make you right. You'll always make mistakes. You'll never succeed. You'll never get that life back. You'll never be able to break that addiction. You'll never be able to repair that relationship. says, no, I'm, I am the one who works in a backwards economy. I take dead things and bring them back to life again. I take broken things and put them back together more beautiful than you could ever imagine. I take sinful things and make them holy. I take things that you feel like are worthless and I turn them into something of eternal value. some of you in this room need to take an account of all of the things that God has given you. Because there are resources that you have not been multiplying because you just kind of felt like they were worthless or maybe you felt like they were just for you. That's what the one servant did with the one talent and buried it. 
because he was afraid and because he was selfish. But the two other servants understood it wasn't about the much or the little. It was about the abundance of their master. And so they received their talents, they multiplied them and they surrendered them. And so maybe the Lord is convicting you right now of something that you have been holding back. He wants you to put it back on the chessboard. He wants you to put it back in the game. He wants you to put it back on the table. He wants you to multiply it and use it. He wants you to surrender it. Holy Spirit, would you just right now illuminate the physical things in all of these people's minds and show them the eternal value that you see? Give us a glimpse of that value. God, by your grace, would you help us to submit them to you, to receive them, to multiply them, and to surrender them. felt like the Lord is also saying, if you've built something or you have something that you're not willing to surrender, your heart's in a dangerous place. So Holy Spirit, right now, would you illuminate those things in people's lives that they are holding back from you because they're afraid to surrender it. They're afraid to lose it. They're afraid what you're going to ask them to do with it. God, in your grace and your kindness, would you just give them a glimpse of the bigger plan that you have for the thing that they're holding back? Because we think we know what's best. God, would you give us a glimpse of the eternal plans that you have for the physical things that you've given us that we are not surrendering to you? Maybe you need to break up some hard soil. Maybe you need to be still in the presence of the Lord. And maybe you don't feel like it, but maybe you just need to raise your hands or get on your knees. Maybe your heart has been in shackles, longing for freedom. But the thing that's been holding you back is you haven't been willing to move your physical feet. to break off those shackles so your heart can move into freedom. We're going to sing one more song. I just want to allow time for the Lord to continue to work in our hearts, to take an account of the things that he's given us repent for the way that we have held things back from him and have not seen his eternal plan. And then surrender those things back to him again. Not live from a perspective of a poverty gospel like I can never have enough. 
or not live from the perspective of a prosperity gospel. Well, live from the perspective of the abundance of your creator. Knowing that he is the one who sustains us. So because he is abundant, I will give my last penny or I will give my last billion dollars. Because I'm surrendered to him. I live out of his abundance, not on a reliance on my own. Because of his abundance, I will pour out my last drop of oil. And I'll bring more jars so that they can be filled again. Because of his abundance, I will go to bed tired and spend every ounce of energy on him because he is worthy, but also because he is the God who causes me to be lifted up on wings like eagles. I will not grow faint even when I'm walking. I will run and not grow faint. God, you sustain us. And you also bless us and show us your favor. God, work in our hearts now.